Information about the world of running, inspiration to fuel passion and excellence, and ideas for making connections and finding community. You're listening to A to Z Running. everyone and welcome to the A to Z running podcast where we help runners thrive. I'm Andy. I am Zach. This week is our 100th episode and we're talking about how to seize opportunity from disappointments to diamonds. We have Kate Grace as an example to us of how to go about making the most of our opportunities. Diamonds. You had to make that pun. I did because it's all too perfect. Disappointments to diamonds. It's a really, really inspiring episode. So keep I'm listening. Apparently filled with puns related to the. <laughs> that might be lake. my only pun. One I can't can promise anything, but it might be my only pun. Cross your fingers with me. We'll find out. All right. Well, you need to make sure before you do anything else, go to a to z running dot com. Click the word follow. It's right next to the word coaching mm -hmm. and then go to youtube <laughs> and then the podcast places to subscribe if there's like notification options of course you want to be notified when we post a new episode because then you don't have to go looking for it and do all that tedious work of remembering who wants to remember of course but i also want to mention too because we're kind of coming into like the new fall season i know it's not quite fall yet technically but a lot of our routines have begun and don't you want good things going to your inbox or being notified of like good stuff that's going to help you like in life thriving as a runner mm -hmm. i always say that because you know you can unsubscribe from all of those advertisements that you get and fill your inbox with things that help you and make you better well, this definitely will help you and make you better. Yeah. So follow and subscribe. And thank you for those who have been part of this journey because Zach doesn't want to make a big deal of it, but 100 episodes in a row. We haven't missed a single week as we brought to you, you know, great experts and guests. We have loved every minute of this journey with you. So thank you so much to those of you who have been part of it, who have rated and reviewed our podcast to help it grow. We appreciate you. Oh, the listener comment. So, Amanda, I mentioned this. I teased it last week that there was an article about the Ingebrigtsen brothers from Podium Runner, Runner and like how they train. And we thought that Zach might be fascinated. So, Zach, your reactions? Wait, we like there's a conspiring element. Uh, Amanda to this? and I thought maybe you'd be interested. So, in Amanda this. sent you a thing and said, "Hey, get Zach to talk about this thing." No, he just said, "I think this might be interesting Amanda, to Zach." What are you doing to me? What are you doing to me? <laughs> All right. Well, it is interesting because everything about running. It's interesting. Also, it's interesting because you don't get a lot of, and they actually say this in the article, you don't get a lot of clear looks into what the very best are doing in their training. And I've never quite fully understood this because they're basically all doing the same thing. But for some reason, everyone thinks they've got a secret and they've got to keep it. Like nobody knows our secret recipe to amazing training this. Um, and of course, that would definitely be true if there weren't for the fact that many coaches across the world coach world-class athletes who win medals and break records mm. so and they're not all in conspiring with each other okay um anyway that aside it is very interesting because we just don't get many glimpses this yeah. clearly into what highest of the best athletes are doing so there's a study and unfortunately it's behind a paywall if you can find it not behind the paywall do so so you can read the full study but for the sake of our time here podium runner did a great job of giving us a little bit of the tidbits 
Unfortunately, they did not do as great of a job of explaining in depth, in detail, what exactly was going on. Because not everybody's like us. Apparently, not everyone wants to know the the nerdy things. Yes, but we could at least give you just a quick take here because what it was there 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 was a study about the Ingebrigtsen brothers specifically over the course of years, like seven years worth of what Mm -hmm. they were doing. And keep in mind, these brothers, all coached by their dad, Gert, Coach Gert. Coach just for Dad. clarity, Andy really <laughs> likes the name. Okay, so he coached his three sons to all-world-class status. All three of them European champions. All three of them Olympians. In the same event, as it were, in the 1500, all three of them exceptional 5K times. Like These, these are some of the best. And then, of course, Jakob, the best of the three, breaking all of the European records and basically everything. And um, what What is his... his uh, his accolade is his four different events that are all in the world top 10 all time. Wow. So one of the best ever. Now, the question then, of course, is what are some of the things that are interesting that they're doing? And the answer is everything good that other people are also doing. But the answer got some more precise examples, which was helpful. It's, you know, it's things like they're running most of their running easy because how else would you run most of your running? And stay healthy, but they're they're running, you know, high volumes. And in fact, their father talked a lot in the referencing in the study that he talked a lot about the importance of the aerobic conditioning early on. Like you've got to focus on those elements. And then he was actually talking about like when they were kids. So that's earlier than most of us think when we think early on. But um, aerobic conditioning as a primary focus early on, and then over time developing and growing things just gradually. Which yeah. is all Gradually, great. Year on year. It just so happened that Jacob got more interested in running sooner yeah. than his other brothers. Um, and and ultimately has grown past them in his successes as well, but uh, also started sooner. So there's a couple of key things that were really fascinating to Andy and I. One was they addressed how they do tempo running, which may or may not be this like the only way they do it, but certainly it seemed to stand out according to the study, which is they kind of break it up and they do what they call cruise intervals. Not entirely uncommon concept, but they do basically like long strength intervals, two to 3,000 meters, and break it up a little bit and do these at not super intense levels. As a matter of fact, their father, who clearly is a data guy, uh, monitors their heart rate and their lactate levels, or blood, blood lactate levels, during workouts. Yeah. And uses that information to decide whether they need to go harder, easier, or continue on. You know, basically... Are you doing the right effort? And he's just he's just made it very scientific. Now, of yeah. course, most of us can't measure our blood lactate levels during a workout, if at all. And so the question, of course, is the lesson for us here is just that much more of a reinforcement of the idea that it is so important to get the effort right. Yes. So I thought, as I read this, that the main advantage of that was keeping them from going over the line, as Zach said. So a key takeaway, like if we're running a workout, it is better to err on the side of caution with a workout than totally smash our body up. Because again, it's so important not to cross the line so you can recover and get back to training. Mm -hmm. Good things. Well, there's some other interesting tidbits. We're going to go ahead and link to that article so you can read the full thing yourself. And then of course, find the studies and look at the full information and data of the studies to really, truly know what's going on there. So thank you, Amanda. And Podium Runner. Mm-hmm. And with that, we should talk for at least a moment about the Lake Michigan Credit Union Bridge Run because it's coming up in yeah. two and a half, th- th- about three weeks. And 
it's a great race it in really West is. Michigan area. It's one of the highlights. And so if you are in West Michigan around September 19th, or if you plan to be, you definitely ought to think about running this event. First of all, because they have a 10-mile race, which are not terribly common and is one of the best distances for racing. That seems kind of general. That's an objective fact. <laughs> one of the best. And when Zach says that, he means subjective. I really like this thing. There's also, if you're not so interested in the 10-mile race, there is a great 5K as well. Well, okay. Yes, that. <laughs> but not only can you run this awesome event, you can do so with $5 off. Let me, let me give you a quick word, though, from Lake Michigan Credit Union Bridge Run. They say... This run is keeping the tradition running on September 19th, as noted, providing participants with an amazing race day experience. And we can attest to that. How many times have we done this event? Seven, eight I, A times? lot. <laughs> many times. How many times have you won the races there, Andy? Uh, I don't think. I think I've only won once. I, you know it's more than that because it's a long time ago. Know. All right, Andy's memory doesn't serve her through Zach all much of the more years than of, me. No, no, no. <laughs> He's trying to break right, the uh, from the, and they go on to say from the new start finish area. So by the way, there is an update to the course, mm -hmm. which looks to be a positive change. Although there's you know some sadness and not being right in Rosa Park Circle, but but uh, it's on the Sixth Street Bridge, right? You get, yeah, you get more of the bridge very experience, cool. which is cool. That's very why it's called cool. the bridge run because you yeah. run back and forth across bridges over the. I like river. the finish on the bridge. That's neat. Yep, uh, five and five k and ten mile routes are both taking the participants through some of the best that the city has to offer, including areas around the museums, over the bridges, near the riverfront. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. So again, that code is A2Z to get $5 off of your bridge run experience. So head to www.thebridgerun.com to register mm -hmm. today. And we'll also link to it at a to zrunning.com slash episode 100. 100. And with that, let's talk more about the world of running. First up in the world of running, starting on August 29th, which was Sunday, in Northern Ireland, Antrim, in fact, was the Antrim Coast Half Marathon. Why, might you ask, Zach, are you talking about that when there are things like Diamond League races and everything to get to? Well, simply because there was a new world record. What? The women's world record in the half marathon slammed by Ethiopia's Yalamzurf Yehwala, who, by the way, this was her third attempt at the world record, as she herself noted in the article published on worldathletics.org. And this was an exceptional performance because not only did she run a new world record, and you're just going to, you're waiting for me to tell you what time this was. She ran a new world record by 18 seconds in a time of 103. 44 smoking one hour three minutes 44 Woo. seconds for 13.1 miles yes i said the women's half marathon amazing holy smokes okay so not only did she run a blazing world record time she did so six minutes ahead of the next mm -hmm. female in the race which is always impressive because it wasn't that it was a bad field it was, was a world-class right. race so exceptional things from Northern Ireland. I mentioned this was her third world record attempt. She, in fact, was in the race when Ruth Chepnagetich set the previous world record of 104.02. And Yehuala was in 104.40 in that race. She's also run 104.46. So she's got the times. This one, she just kind of put a little extra into it. And uh, good performance by NN running teams. Mm -hmm. 
Yahuala. And perhaps she might have been even more motivated because she was not a participant in the Olympic Games. Fourth in the 10,000 meter for Ethiopia, which meant she wouldn't be taken. And she hasn't really done much in the marathon yet. Of course, you can expect us coming soon. She's only 22 years old. Yeah. it's probably a good thing that she hasn't been just slamming the marathons quite yet. But, you know, with a 103 half marathon, she's going to run fast. In the marathon. <laughs> Absolutely. Just a matter of time. All right. So, Andy, give us the next one. Yeah. So this next one is also not Diamond League yet, but another record that we have to mention on August 29th in Poland, the Ultra Park Marathon, 48 hour, 24 hour and 100 kilometer races uh went down and there was a new 24 hour world record smoking yes the total amount of distance was 192.25 miles my word in 24 hours yes and that works out to be a pace of seven minutes and 29 seconds per mile so that's including like eating, potty breaks, maybe like a nap. I don't know if people. I don't know, I don't know if they you, do well, that in I the twenty-four hour race. Sleep in a twenty-four hour race, but I mean, you're gonna want to. <laughs> quite incredible! Wow. Sanya Sorokin of Lithuania broke the record, and people thought this was untouchable. Like apparently not. <laughs> I mean, there have been people going after this record, but it's kind of considered untouchable by Yohannes. Koros, and mm. that was a very legendary record. He had covered the distance of 188.5 miles back in 1997 for the 24-hour record. All right, so 24 years yeah. later and four miles further, almost yeah. four miles. Wow. This was a big record. I mean, that's an old record. I just, I'm just kind of dwelling on the fact that this person ran for 24 hours straight. Yeah. Well, give or take whatever those pit stops were. Right. And there's so wow. many considerations. Like Zach and I have not done any of these 24-hour races and or we'll these ultra do. like long-distance stuff. And there's so many considerations of training the body to be able to – to like the nutrition itself is something that's a hurdle. Like the exhaustion, how to deal with that. There's so many obstacles, uh, literally, literally, and then also like just the amount of – fatigue mentally like you have to be so driven to do these kinds of races it's absolutely incredible what they put themselves through yep (laughs) so if you are interested in a 24-hour race now you've got to figure a way to run it in under 730 per mile pace nasty and that's that that's that now moving on to the diamond league and so Mm -hmm. there were two installments in the diamond league circuit in the past week uh, the most recent one was on Saturday, August 28th in Paris. So Paris hosting the Diamond League for years and years. It's, it's been a very uh, common staple in the circuit and always sees interesting performances because it's, it's, right to, it's two days after a previous Diamond League race. So then you have athletes deciding whether they run both, one or the other, or some of those kinds of things. And then also the next Diamond League race is a week later, and we start getting to the Diamond League championships. So what you see at this point in the Diamond League is you tend to see the athletes who are on the cusp of being able to make the championship but don't quite have enough points. They're really trying to get into these races and compete well so they can get the points they need to make it to the championship race, Mm. which is always a good one as well. But in Paris, we had some interesting distance running performances this men's 3000 meters meter steeplechase we'll link to it we were able to watch it 
uh, the BBC coverage. Oh, yeah. Excellent coverage. And the Kenyans solidified their dominance. It was just. It was amazing. It was. So at the Olympic Games, if you weren't following it, we can link to our episode of the Olympic recap because it's still very interesting. If you don't know what happened at the Olympics, there were so many amazing performances. But the Kenyans swept the men's steeplechase. Not in the Olympics. Not in the Olympics. <laughs> Talking about they, the Diamond League. The Diamond League. <laughs> and the, so in the Olympics, the Kenyans did not perform up to what they have in the past. And so the the Kenyans sweeping a, a championship-level steeplechase race is a common occurrence over the years. We, we've become quite familiar with that. But then in 2016 in Rio, it was just kind of like all broken up and disheveled. Um, but Concesos Capruto of Kenya... Um, has been kind of like the dominating champion and then has been hurt. And so he was, in fact, in this Diamond League race, but... He didn't finish. Didn't finish. It was not running well. Um, it was three others. And so we had, as is the case, uh, many Olympians in the heat, in the event. And so it's always interesting to see how they perform, you know, post-Olympics. And in every case, like, just because one person got gold in the Olympics doesn't mean they're going to win every Diamond League race and such. Um, but even more so... When Sufyan El Bakali, the gold medalist from the Olympics, hit the first barrier, yeah, and was like out bad. And done. You could hit see him bleeding, bleeding, like bleeding. ran straight Yikes. into it. So we don't know if he forgot it was no, no, no. there. You can what? see it in slow motion. Okay. what happened? He tried. He he clearly couldn't quite see the barrier very well. Didn't realize it was coming up that quickly. But he did try to jump. But as his lead leg was coming up his foot hit the back of someone else's foot. Oh. And so his his leg never really quite got high enough. So he did this little like hop thing to try to get oh, his no. front leg over and his back leg just smashed into the barrier like his looked thigh. bad. It looked really bad. bad. And then it was bloody and then and then he was like was... rolling around. It was bad. And the medics came to him and they didn't pull him away from the track it took right a while away. To get him so off the it must track. have been must have been pretty bad. So, so not good. Who uh, was the champion, Zach? <laughs> so top three. Uh, the victor was Benjamin Keegan of Kenya and taking the, uh, the first of the Kenyan sweep. And then it was Kibiwat and Kip Kamoy of Kenya for second and third. And this was a fast time. It was actually a new world leading time, in fact, uh, in 8.07. And so they, they didn't just you know compete well. They took it out, and then they took it out fast and basically... Kind of just uh, showed everybody that they've got the stuff. There was a really cool camera shot at the end of everyone going over the barrier, the final barrier. And because they were putting so much heat on in the end, I don't think I've ever had that kind of view of the steeplechase, steeplechase athletes hurtling over so quickly. Yeah. And it was general, a cool shot. It was a great shot. In general, the BBC coverage of these Diamond League meets, they've, they've been doing some good camera work, like some unique angles that you don't see in coverage very often and especially in the steeple it was great because of the way they showed camera angles for some of the barriers and the water yeah. pit specifically where you could see first of all how fast the athletes yeah. are moving as they're coming over that water barrier but then those three kenyans all hurdled the barrier without stepping on it which if you're familiar with the steeple chase they always step on the water barrier mm -hmm. but then every once in a while you get someone who hurdles it now, by the Zach way, has before. I have tried yeah. that before as a strategy. I can tell you one thing for certain. You've got to be moving fast enough or it slows you down substantially because you land in the water very deeply mm. unless you're really flying. Well, they were really flying. They were. So they hit that barrier. They go flying over it and they barely touch the water before they're moving Amazing. on the outside. It's great. It's great. 
and it should be noted that the previous A to Z running podcast guest, Hillary Moore, was ninth in 821, and he's now achieved the points that he needs to qualify him for the Diamond League finals in Zurich. So he will indeed be in the Diamond League championship for the steeplechase. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, the women's 3,000 meter, which is an uncommon event in most instances, but the Diamond League has made it more of a staple by getting rid of the 5,000 and adding the 3,000 as the longest distance event. Kind of a bummer for the distance runners because it's basically a sprint for 10,000 meter runners. But um, as a result, it's one that we've been seeing competed in more often this summer. And so always an interesting thing. How do the lower distance, like middle distance runners and the longer distance runners, how do they mesh when they hit at the 3000? And, and they do, in fact, and it's always fun. So as it were, it was Francine Nionsaba of Burundi who won in a national record as well as is like fifth fastest all time, 819. But um, in fact, followed very closely by Ethiopia's Ejgaye Taye, mm. who set a new Ethiopian record and blazing fast another 819 as well and it was basically Taye coming around the curve gets up on Nian Saba's shoulder and she's like like a real Pressure. threat and you could see the like shock in Nian Saba's face suddenly when she realized someone was there clearly she didn't think that was going to be the case and yeah. she but she had a little spurt of energy she had a little extra and Taye chased her right there but she couldn't quite get past her mm -hmm. before the line good race excellent in third place was Kenya's Margaret Chilimo by the way Kipkemoy um also in a personal best time of 821 also an incredible fast, fast women's steeplechase wow that's not a steeplechase that's i'm just sorry no. 3000 <laughs> sorry any more coffee by the way back in fourth place was the united states elise cranny in an 830 not a pr but still a substantial time in a good place and a very yeah. in a very Placed competitive well. race mm -hmm. Placed well in a very competitive race so we had yet another Diamond League race for the weekend on August 25th and 26th. There was Lausanne, and that was um, – oh, sorry. That is in Lausanne. Yes. Where is Lausanne? Do you where know? is – France somewhere? Something like that? I have no idea where <laughs> I'm sorry. Is. I didn't write it, guys. So the men's 800-meter run was won by Margot Arop of Canada in 144.50. So he's been really showing well and strong in the Diamond mm -hmm. League. And so he didn't perform super well in the Olympics. It, it he was in the mix, day. though. He, he just mix. didn't have the same finishing power. Because he was in the final, and he yeah. was, like, oh, yeah. in the mix. So. so his strategy in the Diamond League has been just try to run as hard as he can and hope nobody else keeps up. And it's worked out well for him sometimes, not other times. So he did also try the comparably the same strategy in Paris, and it, it didn't work out that mm. time. Okay. But in Lausanne... He took the cake. And then second was Emmanuel uh, Career of Kenya in 144.62. So they were the gold really, really they were close. close yes. Yep. And then third was Ferguson Chariot of Kenya in 145.48. Excellent stuff. And then the men's 3,000 meter. This is a flat 3,000 as well. And this was kind of talked up. The race was and simply because you had Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Mm -hmm. which you just can't say his name enough. <laughs> and he was running in a 3,000, which is one of the longer races previously for him. But after running 1248 in the 5,000 this summer, it was basically like, he can do anything now. So um, you had him, and then you had Stewie McSwain of Australia. And both of them have gone head-to-head -head in 3,000s and other longer distances frequently. And it's always fascinating to see yeah. them race each other. Well, and I think it's 
it's very interesting that Stuart McSwain uh, has to run a certain strategy in order to give himself a shot. Always. Because he is not the leg speed guy. He is. He is. But compared to Jacob Ingebrigtsen, he's not so much. Yeah, I mean, he's he's run like under 330. I know. I know. So it's hard to but even say that. But it's like. <laughs> he doesn't have the kick well, in the he final has 100. it compared to most, but well, not Jacob Ingebrigtsen. That's yeah. He knows his competition. We yes. talked about with Hillary Bohr on the episode with him talking about championship races and knowing your competition. Well, it was obvious that Stuart McSwain went in with intentions based on his competition, and that was to take it out hard. <laughs> yep. Take it out hard and to try to do the work from the beginning of the race and not leave it as much to the kick in the end. And he oh like he almost succeeded <laughs> because I mean, Jacob Ingebrigtsen was tired at he, the end of that race. Looked he like looked he had, had worked bent. Yep. So I think that that was probably the right tactics for Stuart McSwain. I don't think there's much more he could have done to try to race differently. Yeah, no. And that's, uh, well, that's the only way he ever races. So it's, <laughs> who knows? But um, it, it was interesting because very early on, there was a pacer and the pacer took it out hot which was clearly how he was instructed and stewie went with him and then nobody else did and so a gap started forming right away and you could see the group was like we're not i mean we're not gonna mess around like that but of course jacob ingebrigtsen knows stewie mcswain and he knows what he does so he eventually made the clear intentional choice that i can't let him just run away with this right and so he took off from the chase pack and then eventually he had to kind of cross quite a gap by himself, but latched back onto Stewie and then just rode the train for a while. Um, but nobody else went with them. And as a consequence, only one other athlete even was able to catch back up to them late in the race. And that was Birihu Aragawi of Ethiopia. And he did so by working crazy hard for the last it was meters. really impressive how he closed that really gap because he's closing the gap on these 1500 meter guys and they're running really fast they are like they were slowing down I mean, exactly they, I they did actually kind of slowed down it was funny because at one point the announcers were like is Diego gonna uh, take some of the wind like is he gonna help because <laughs> oh, it was yeah. windy it was a very was windy behind Stewie. it was just sitting behind Stewie, and they're like nah he's not gonna yeah <laughs> so this is another example too by the way and you had uh steve cram was one of the announcers the legendary brit runner from uh, middle distance runner uh from years ago so steve cram was one of the announcers and so you could tell like he just knows these athletes he's clearly watched them race quite a bit um and he understands the sport very keenly because as soon as the the thought came up you know maybe jakob ingebrigtsen is going to take the win or something he's like he's not going to do that why would he because why would he because uh, it's nice he's not running a race to be nice he's running a race to win so no he didn't even at for a moment think about taking he jakob ingebrigtsen only took the lead in the last hundred meters yeah he did not at any moment in time try to do any more work than he had to to win that race Except he had to do a lot of work. He still had to end, do a lot of work. The end, he was so, very yes. tired. And, and so it was, yeah. it was Ingebrigtsen for the win. In 7.33, it wasn't like a crazy fast time, but it was also apparently not great weather. Andy mentioned the wind. And so they, they seemed to slow a bit in the final stages of the race, which might have be a result of that. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was Ethiopia's Aragawi in second, making that crazy long haul from yeah. about 600 meters out to catch them. Um, and then third was Stewie McSwain, and nobody else was close. Those, mm -hmm. those three just buried the field. Separated. Yeah. In a world-class field, mind yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. It's good stuff. Women's 1,500-meter run. Champion of the women's race was – oh, you're going to have to tell me. <laughs> okay. So we'll just go with Gebrzebihir. 
of Ethiopia. Uh-huh. In a time of 402.24, second place was Linden Hall of Australia in 402.95. So they were pretty close there. And then we had third, which was a U.S. athlete. Josette Norris in 403.27. And I mentioned her because I've gotten to know her a little bit more looking her up. She finished eighth at the U.S. Olympic trials in the 5,000. And on July 18th, after the trials had occurred and she did not make the Olympic team, she ran the Sound Running Sunset Tour and ran 359.72, which puts her number nine on the U.S. all-time performer list. And that was a nearly seven-second improvement on her previous best. And in that race, she out outran Jessica Hull of Australia. Uh, the yeah. Olympian, yeah. Yep. So Excellent. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. So keep an eye out for jo- uh, Josette Norris. Yeah, she's fairly young, fairly new on the pro scene. So always definitely interesting to watch as athletes are emerging into what looks to be uh, fairly uh, good momentum. Mm-hmm. All right, well, there were certainly other things going on in those Diamond League meets and always interesting stuff. If you want to watch them, you can find them. BBC's coverage on YouTube is excellent, and so we always we'll encourage link to that. it, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, for wrapping up our time together here in the world of running, we did want to mention a couple of details from marathon news in general, starting with the fact that the marathon majors are once again all happening in, like, the same month, basically. <laughs> Yeah, so six of uh, the six major marathons will all take place in seven weeks. So the six most important marathons in the world in seven-week window. And you know there are athletes doing multiples of them, like the pros and such, and not to mention plenty of not-professional athletes who are still doing multiples because they were signed up for them and they got deferred entries and all those things. And when you can get into one of these races, you got to do it. So there's that. Yep. One of the people who are going to be doubling up, uh, Kenanisi Bekele. Oh. What? He's back on the scene. He never really went away, but he just didn't make it to the Olympics. Yeah. He is doing the Berlin Marathon on September 26th, and then the New York Marathon on November 7th, which is only 42 days apart. Yep. Now, I thought this was interesting. Bekele told Sports Illustrated in an interview, I still feel that I am the best and better than anyone. I think every athlete and others should think that think like that oh like that okay (laughs) not everyone should think they're the best and better than everyone just bekele and me but (laughs) it should be noted if people still don't give him the credit that that he deserves he ran two seconds slower than kipchoge's world record two seconds he's the only other athlete to come close yeah so yes he's got it and that was only two years ago folks so and his 10k is faster his 5k is faster Legendary world records only broken by Cheptegay. Yeah. So, yes, that's always interesting to see. But Bekele does not have good races as often as Kipchoge. Well, he's been injured, too. Yeah, and he's older. Not not much, though. He's a little bit older than Kipchoge. Both are seasoned. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Well, one other detail about World Marathon Majors is that there's a new candidate race, a possible new entry, a seventh World Marathon Major. And we'll see. I don't know how exactly they make this decision, but Andy's very interested in seeing this I become am. a world marathon major. It is, in fact, the San Lam Cape Town Marathon. Mm-hmm. In Africa. So Cape Town, being legendary as it is of a place to visit, um, we, we, of course, started looking this up a bit because we're like, ah, cur- curious what this race is like and such. Not only does it look gorgeous. It looks beautiful. Amazing. 
but also their website is super cool. So go look at that sometime. Because Zach's it's a nerd. Fun. He loves and the websites. Everyone, I'm thinking about how I want to make a, a make a trip because it looks so amazing. There's beaches everywhere. It's mountainous, but the race itself is flat or as fairly far as, flat. I mean, yeah, I mean, it doesn't run up the plateau. Exactly. So there's that. So. Yeah. But Andy also basically said the same thing every time we looked up photos of any of the races we've been talking about. Oh, I want to go there. Oh, I want to go there. Oh, I want to go. Okay. And the answer, of course, is eh, not likely going to any of them. But maybe one day. Maybe one day. Very cool. The Cape Town, the San Lam Cape Town Marathon. Put it on your list. Watch it. See if it becomes a marathon major. And uh, try to get into, like, the debut or something because that would be super cool. And I want to thank Pete for sending me that information. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Pete. Excellent. Well, that about wraps it up. Of course, there are many, many more things to share. We've got more going on in the Diamond League circuit. And, of course, two more installments, which means the championships are coming soon as well. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned for that. This week, our topic is how to turn disappointment around. A limiting factor to success can be major disappointment. It could shake us, make us question ourselves and our goals, even fall into despair at times. If you struggle with this, you're not alone. We've been there. You've probably heard us talk about it on the show and on social media. You are not alone. There are times where we have things that don't go as planned. When considering this topic, it didn't take long to realize the perfect inspiration is the journey of Kate Grace. Through her story and a few remarks from Kate, we didn't get a like a full-length interview with her, but we got some really great stuff from her. We can learn how to turn disappointment into diamonds. Oh, goodness. Zach's favorite. I was hoping you weren't going to say that again. I just but... think it's so good. Yeah. So for those of you who are now just joining the A to Z Running Podcast or need a reminder, we've been tracking Kate Grace's 2021 on this show. It's been a year of a lot of change, some disappointment, and some major personal bests. An amazing year for Kate Grace. Now, normally in the show, we give you a couple sentences about our guest, but today we want to walk you through a bit of Kate Grace's story as kind of a case study for making the most out of opportunities. Although Kate Grace was a decorated collegiate runner and four-time record holder at Yale, stepping into the world of pro running wasn't a clear path. Now, sometimes we think that if a runner is super uber talented, like Kate Grace's, that is just super obvious. Well, each step is not clear, especially in sports. And I think we can translate that to a lot of fields. You know, when you think about your journey and your career path, it's not always clear. And to make that even more difficult, at the trials, she was 20th. And I don't know what her thought process was along that time. I would love to dive into that more. But at that point, she had to decide if she was going to keep pursuing the sport of running. She could have been disappointed, but she kept pursuing the sport. Her commitment to discovering what was possible paid off when she improved her times and won her first USA title in 2013 in the One Mile Road Championships at the Grand Blue Mile. And that same year, remember the previous, she was 20th of the trials. So she won this US championship. And then the same year, she was fourth in the 800 at the U.S. Outdoor Track and Field Championships. And then in 2014, she was 11th 
in the 1500 meter run at the U.S. Outdoor Track and Field Championships, and she was part of that four by 1500 meter team that broke the U.S. record. It's been broken since then too, but she broke that record with that team. It was a big year for her. You know, things were going well, and like most stories, I'm gonna guess most stories. Sometimes highs are often followed by lows. And so in 2014 and 15, she changed coaches a couple times and she battled foot injuries. Again, she then found her opportunities. She made the very most of them and she had more changes. In 2016, she uh, was under uh, under a new coach, Drew Wartenberg, and she qualified for the Olympic trials in the Olympic standard time in the 1500 meter run of 406. It was a good year for her with a second place finish at the New York Armory Women's Elite Mile and fifth at the Fifth Avenue Mile. It's a very legendary road race and improved her personal best 800 meter time to 158. So there's progress, hard earned progress after a lot of injury and a lot of change. A highlight from that year was her qualification for the 2016 Olympic Games in the 800 meter run where Kate was the U.S. trials champion. She competed at the Olympic Games in the 800-meter run representing Team USA. She was a finalist. And this is a reflection from very recently about that time. Kate said, I made my first Olympic team when I was 27. Almost immediately, I started to hear that I had been at my peak, implying I was on the decline. It's one of the reasons I promptly switched to the 1,500-meter after finishing eighth at the Olympics in the 800. It's the prevailing understanding that the longer the distance – the older an athlete can excel. Also, I'm good at the 1500 and I wanted to give it a shot, but it's interesting to note just how fully I switched gears and wonder how much of that came from the idea that I had outgrown the 800. When the Olympics were postponed, I cried. I was devastated that day, partly because of the belief that my time was slipping away. I've been thinking about that belief as we finish preparations for the Olympic trials about what I thought this year would be versus what it is becoming. I told myself I would make the most of my extra time, use it to heal an injury and get stronger. But I knew the perception that I was fighting an inevitable fade and it made me more timid to talk about my goals. The difference between exception and reality for this year has been the best surprise. I sometimes wonder what I would say if I woke up from with amnesia and had to go for a run and guess my age. I don't think I'd say 32, but I'm learning to ask why. I feel strong and fast. And if there's one thing I know as an athlete is to trust my body, stop the mental calculations, and get out of my own way. So yeah, I'm just out here doing it. And in the wise words of Alexis Rose, I'm loving this journey for me. So, wow. I mean, I don't know about you, but that kind of hit home. Like some things I'm afraid about and some things that I have not taken opportunities with kind of come full to my face when I look at my fears. This year, I was able to get a, a, a mile PR and I'm 30, 33. I'm 30, I had to think about it for a second. I'm 33 years old. You're getting old. I am. No. All that to say, like, sometimes we have these limiting factors that we think are limiting factors, but they're but they're not. Like, I feel fit and strong. So thank you, Kate Grace, for sharing that in an Instagram post. In 2017, Kate signed a contract with Nike and continued to race and progress her running career. At that time, she joined the Bowerman Track Club with Jerry Schumacher as her coach. In 2018, 
Kate set a championship record at the NACAC championships. NACAC. NACAC. In the 1500 meter running 406.23. In 2019, Kate represented Team USA and won the match Europe versus USA in the 1500 meter run in 402, which is her current 1500 meter PR. Now, in the summer of 2020, Kate was battling injury. A year with little opportunity for racing anyway, Kate focused on becoming a student of her own training with a strong focus on rebuilding. And now she talked about a lot of this in an episode with us on the A to Z Running Podcast, so I'll be linking to that. It's called Speed, Strength, or Endurance with Kate Grace. During the winter of 2020, Kate left the Bowerman Track Club, and I don't know if the exact dates, so I probably shouldn't have said winter of 2020. Well, she left the Bowerman Track Club to join Team Boss, and Kate discusses how this was a leap of faith for her. And she said in an Instagram post, no one says it's a good idea to change training and coaches six months before the Olympic trials. I would not advise someone else to do that. But hey, they say the exceptions prove the rule. Of course, I had to plan for how I wanted this year to go. But the way team boss Emma and Joe have welcomed me into this fold is beyond anything I could have hoped for. There have been a few worker workouts recently where I finished and immediately said thank you. To the person pacing or cheering, holding the watch. It's kind of a weird first reaction when you're gulping for air. But that's where I am right now. Overflowing with gratitude and ready to go to battle. Kate took an opportunity. She took a risk. She weighed the options. And she wrote this. I knew at the time that going back to 800 training was a risk as was starting with a new coach and team so late in the game. But I also knew that the greater risk was letting the opportunity pass untested. So putting fear aside and getting after it. At the Olympic trials in June, Kay Grace displayed a strong showing, but the 800-meter field was the most impressive in history. Wouldn't you agree? All Kay Grace's rounds were indicating her upward trajectory. And her time at the trials was still impressive, 159.17. But at the end, she did look like she was strong. So, I mean, when I saw her, I was like, oh, man, she's like on her way up. She was almost there. So this time that she ran, 159.17, was just shy of her 2016 Olympic trials winning time of 159.10. Well, she was clearly ready to make an Olympic team. I'm sure that she had everything, you know, planned in her head, like for this Olympic team. And she was obviously in great shape. Kate did not wait to process her disappointment before making her decision with Coach Boss and her agent to compete in the Diamond League. Like four days later. Exactly. (laughs) And she talks about that in our little snippet coming up. So I want to give a little recap of her Diamond League so far. Oslo, 800-meter run, 157.6. This is a PR and her very first Diamond League win at the time. Stockholm, 800-meter run, another PR, 157.36. Monaco, 800, another PR, 157.20. Gateshead Mile, 427.0. Oh, two oh in a Diamond League win. So now she has two Diamond League wins, which she had never had before. She's broken her PR three times. And then at the Eugene 800 meter run, she was uh, the runner up in a time of 157.6. Behind a thing Mo in a new American record. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. 
Yep. So her fourth 157, which she had never done under 158 before this summer, and she's done it four times now. Yes. So today wow. on the A to Z Running Podcast, we are excited to have Kate Grace on the show to tell us how she's turned her disappointment around so quickly to run the best races of her life at the Diamond League this summer. Kate Grace, welcome again to the A to Z Running Podcast. We're so glad to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me. So happy to be here. Well, it's super exciting. We just gave our audience like a recap again, just re reminding everyone your amazing Diamond League success that you've had this summer. And then, of course, what's to come in the Diamond League coming to the second half of it really soon here. So I just want to jump right into our conversation about making the most of opportunities and starting with the Olympic trials. I know everyone has done that on a podcast with you, but I guess from the angle of how you took that disappointment and turned it into something really great and that turnaround there that's like so clutch you know I think a lot of us when we come we have some expectations like you are so ready for the Olympics obviously you are so ready for the Olympics you were right there in the mix at the Olympic trials and then of course your time showed thereafter at the Diamond League like you were right there so how do you turn being ready for the Olympic games into the Diamond League series? How did you make that pivot? It's always a learning process. It's something that I, if anything, I actually credit um, Emma Coburn a lot. She's training partner and new training partner here, just with kind of her mindset. Um, and it's kind of this idea of no excuses mindset, I guess. Um, and like, just being very realistic with being able to quickly process if something is a failure, if you feel like you have not lived up to expectations and be able to process it, but not put that um, judgment on it. Right. So there's a difference between saying like, Oh, there's a difference between saying I did not race up to my potential or I had a bad race or I had a, a subpar race. And then where we get into trouble is we put this judgment on it and we feel guilty and you start to like just wallow in those emotions. And I think the key as much as possible is to separate the like digesting of the race experience with those feelings of guilt and shame and like that emotional burden. Um, and again, I think that's something that everyone can learn from and really like apply in general to life right is this an idea like we're never going to have a perfect we're never going to bat perfect 10 all the time that was a confusing sport metaphor i don't know exactly what that <laughs> we're never gonna hit, hit a perfect 10 i don't even know so whatever the most sport metaphor is um <laughs> the, i get it it's going to yeah <laughs> sports. Um, it's going to be, you'll have some failures in there. And I think the key again is yeah, to how do you continue to move forward, learn from it? Yeah. But not have the guilt and the shame part of it kind of like weigh you down. Mm. Oh, that's yeah, that's really good. So I guess, how do you do that? I mean, that sounds like such a general question, but like, how, how do you separate it? And like when thoughts and feelings come up, like, what do you do with it? Yeah. So I had some friends, I mean, just kind of talking with other friends at the Olympic trials, people who are younger than me, who maybe this is their first time. And I've been texting them ideas. Um, I really think the first thing obviously is just like, it's okay to be upset, right? Like I think taking out, don't feel guilty about it. 
it's it's just a bad thing happened or a sad thing happened and feeling sad is okay. And I think, again, that's the idea where don't put the pressure on yourself that you feel bad, that you feel bad. Um, number two is just like, it's a to actually have the emotion. For me, I cry usually. Like if I have a bad race within the 24 hours, I'll have a period where I will like shed tears. Um, and I've learned that that's part of it. And that's part of my process. I usually it's for me, it's the next day. Cause I'm a little bit too much in shock right afterwards. So I kind of know, like I'll probably have a run. I'll start crying. Um, and so you have that feeling. I think the key next step, honestly, is this idea. It's kind of this approach from like cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy, which is actually more of like a therapy approach is this idea that like, thoughts and feelings don't have to dictate your actions right so it's like we can have thoughts and feelings and they can be like any other sensation like i'm hot i'm cold i'm hungry like you can have a feeling like i'm sad but i think the key thing is then next step is like oh i'm sad but my actions are the same like i don't change my routine and that for me is a key key thing because that enables you then to be like okay so what? Like, I'm sad. I'm still gonna go for my run. I'm still gonna eat my lunch and I don't know, prepare for my next race and talk to my family and whatever, like my normal actions are throughout the day. And in a, in, in a way it enables you to just like keep moving forward and uh, yeah, allow the feeling to come in. And just as if you were like cold outside or hot, you'd be like, okay, that's a sensation. And then it can go on and it doesn't have to change anything about my day. And that I just really, try to sit in that and have that be, I don't know, like just an empowering understanding. Cause then again, you can go about your day and realize that you can still get stuff done, even in a state of maybe like you're kind of upset. Um, and that for me was key right after the trials, because again, I was pretty, I was upset for like a few days, but, or just not, I mean, obviously you're not thrilled. Um, but I knew it was like, okay, just gonna keep going, doing my thing. And then I'll have the next race. And if you keep doing that over and over again, you realize that then you can still perform. And then you, in a way, by having those actions, you, your behavior pulls yourself out of that slump. That is empowering advice. Very empowering advice. The routine, what you've taught yourself to do is how you're able to overcome, even when emotionally, it, it doesn't make sense emotionally, but it makes sense mentally and physically. So we have to be able to drive those with these routines like you're talking about. That's amazing advice. So as you're going into the Diamond League series, was that a plan beforehand? Like, did you think if I if I don't make the Olympic Games, I'm going to do Diamond League? Or was that something that you decided to do after? That was after. And it's it was after it, you kind of were always aware that this is, that's the way the summer works for pro runners is basically like you go to the trials and then depending what happens at the trials, you kind of split. And it's either like, if you know, if you're going to make the team, then you're going to go back to training and you might have one race. If you don't make the team, you're going to try to race as much as possible and race in the best races you can get into. And so if you're given the opportunity to race in the diamond leagues, like take it. Um, and so again, while there was no set plan in place, I was aware that that was one of the options and essentially literally like 30 minutes after my race, we, my coach said, you're in this, you're in Oslo. Do you want to go? My agent said, you're in Oslo. I want to go. And I said, yes. And so I got in a plane the next day. Wow. Okay. So that was a pretty quick turnaround and you're still feeling all the feelings 
at that point, right? Because you said it took a couple days to digest. Mm -hmm. So how important was it for you to lean into them and their help finding these opportunities or pushing you towards these opportunities? Yes, for I I think it's really important to lean on people. For my agent, that's his job to get us races. I think the key is like asking for help where you need it, not in an enabling way, but just like in recognizing that other people are there to help you. Um, I, um, I was went to Europe. I was there for. Um, I was, I realized I was lonely and I basically reached out to my coach, my, my boyfriend, my sister, and to all of them, I was basically like, Hey, like, I'm like kind of lonely here. Like just FYI. And they came through, like they checked in on me all the, like twice a day was texting, were texting me. Um, and that was really helpful as well. Um, I think in the end, again, making most of opportunities, there's so much to life that is like stuff you've earned stuff that's luck, some combination of all of it. And I think the magical thing about, yeah, our life, our ability to, um, I don't know, like actualize our best selves is that like with, with whatever you're given, it's, it's not necessarily, obviously it's what you're given, but it's what you make of what you're given. And I think that's where it's, I don't know, powerful and like how we're going to create meaning for ourselves, for others. Um, I mean, that's like getting philosophical. That's like the whole Viktor Frankl thing is like, the meaning of life is what you make of it, right? But it really is. And I really do believe that in your actions, you can um, show yourself and show other people, um, I don't know, just like what uh, amazing gift this like this life is and this like life that I live in and that any, anyone is given. If you are given the opportunity to run, if you're given the opportunity to any kind of racing um, or, I mean, honestly, like with whatever you're choosing to do, um, it's... I just have learned so much that in, in making the most of, of those opportunities, you are going to make yourself feel great and you're just going to inspire others around you. Hmm. Absolutely. Well, you've been inspiring us, Kate, and we are so excited to report on the Diamond League events coming up soon. So thank you so much, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Kate Grace, for coming on our show yet again, just dropping some great wisdom for all of us. I just, this concept, this reality of disappointments in our running is guaranteed. We will. Kind words. It is, but it's going to happen. I mean, we're going to face disappointing things as a runner, whether that's injury, a setback, a race doesn't go as we had hoped. Conditions aren't what we hoped for when we are preparing, you know, a peak and the conditions aren't right. There's so many things that we can and will be disappointed about. So suck it up and get over it. <laughs> no, oh. that's not. <laughs> Sorry, I thought that's where you were going with that. So dealing my with bad. these set setbacks or disappointments, we can allow ourselves, like Kate said, to feel these things give ourselves a timeline and then move on from it. And I think it is important for us to process it, but we don't need, if, if there is something that is coming up, like we have great fitness that we already have. And, you know, it's not like we've done a marathon. Maybe we've done a, a 10K or whatever. And we have the opportunity to run another race in a couple of weeks, sign up for the race, even when you're feeling disappointment. If you're, if it's time sensitive, just go ahead and do it because sometimes seizing the opportunity before we feel okay is going to help us seize the opportunity even more because, you know, if you got to get into a race, got to into a race. And another thing I took away from Kate's 
um, advice to us is that taking chances might be uncomfortable. And how she has time and time again chosen the uncomfortable to seize the opportunity has shown me that this style of being courageous is really beneficial in moving forward in your career. And this can mean in running. I think we can translate this to other things in life too. But being courageous and taking those opportunities and not missing out what's possible because we're feeling disappointed or, or fear or afraid. So listen, mm-hmm. after all this talk of turning things around and seizing opportunities, if you want the same, in your own running right now and aren't sure what to do about it, check us out. We offer coaching and training and consultation services all available at a2zrunning.com. Look for the word coaching at the top. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we'd love to work with you and we know that you're all on a journey and we are thankful that you've chosen to put us in your ears so we can literally do some miles very, with very, you. Very, very strange it's, thing to it, say. But it's true. I feel very honored that many of you- I don't want to be in your ear. I don't want anything to do with what's inside your ear. Zach. I just want to be in your that brain. That was a meaningful moment that you just ruined. I want to be in your mind whispering <laughs> into your thoughts. Now you're all creeped out from Zach. But my thank you continues. My thank you continues as you're all shutting this off now. We thank you. 100 episodes. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Because without anyone listening, we wouldn't continue to do this. So we appreciate all of you. And we're thankful to have connected with you. And we'll talk to you again next week. But we might continue doing this if no one's listening. Because it's (laughs) kind of fun anyway. 